Welcome to the Richard Roper Podcast. Thanks to everybody for joining me once again. I am indeed. Let me check. I'm checking. Checking out looking. Yes, there's my ID. I am indeed Richard Roper. Lots going on in the world of entertainment, pop culture, all that good stuff. We're going to talk about there's kind of a reunion of Mean Girls. That movie came out 19 years ago. Can you believe that? 19 years ago, Mean Girls. The Mean Girls are are back together, sort of, kind of. We're going to talk about that. There are some nominations out, a very prestigious group, actually, and they're gender neutral. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Also, the other night, I was on TV, and I don't mean I was on TV because I'm on TV. I'm used to being on TV, but there was a television program that referenced me, and I started hearing from people. It was interesting because I heard from people across different time zones as this particular program (laughs) aired in their time zone saying, hey, they just mentioned you on celebrity jeopardy so we're going to talk about that that was a, a fun thing a fun surprise and i'll i'll give you guys uh, we've talked about this a couple of times but i'll talk a little bit some behind the scenes things and some uh anecdotes about being the subject of uh pop culture and not just covering it that has happened to me a few times over the years but you know what before we get into all of that i have to remind you the richard roper show is brought to you by americaneagle.com studios the digital landscape you know it it's changing rapidly and to compete in today's online business environment you need an experienced partner since 1995 americaneagle.com has partners with companies of all sizes offering web design web development e-commerce mobile apps and digital marketing to drive your overall business success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity that's AmericanEagle.com. You know where it's at. You just have to visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. All right, let's talk about this Mean Girls reunion. It's not exactly a reunion. It's not a, we've talked a lot about reboots and sequels and revisits of TV shows and movies. This is a foreign ad uh, for Walmart. Why don't we take a listen to a little bit of this Walmart ad featuring the Mean Girls reunion? At North Shore, some things never change. On Wednesdays, we still wear pink. Get in, sweetie. We're going deal shopping. But now, we shop Walmart Black Friday deals. Buckle up. Karen Smith here with the weather. There's a 30% chance it's already Wednesday. This wasn't regular shopping. This was deal shopping. Back to you, Chuck. Don't let the haters stop you from doing your thing, Kevin Jr. Even as the guidance counselor, I was still getting schooled. Gruel. Huh? What's gruel? Oh, it's nothing. Man, I don't have to set something. Oh, this is gonna be so fetch. Stop trying to make fetch happen, Mom. It's still not gonna happen. Oh! Black Friday deals start next Wednesday? Oh my god, that's in like one week! Have a great day at school. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Of course, that is the genius of this marketing campaign. You get all this free publicity. Uh, This ad came out about a week ago. Pretty much every news outlet in the country ran something, whether we're talking about TV, radio, online. And, of course, they mentioned that it's a Walmart ad. So the idea here is they got Lindsay Lohan, Amanda Seyfried, and Lacey uh, Shabbert to reunite, to get back together. Uh, The conceit now has that uh, Lambert's uh, Gretchen Wieners has a mean girl of her own. Lowen's KD is an out-of-touch guidance counselor, and Seifert's Karen Smith is still cluelessly reporting the weather. 
uh, Rachel McAdams uh, decided for whatever reason uh, not to do it. And I kind of give her a lot of credit for that. They have some other cast members in there. And it's a it's almost like a short film. The ad it runs for like two minutes. The whole idea is that it's all about uh, their Black Friday uh, sales, which, by the way, don't even occur on Black Friday anymore. The days of consumers, you know, storming the big box stores at two o'clock or six o'clock on the Friday after Thanksgiving are kind of gone. The, the retailers finally figured out that that was that was bad publicity. Actually, it was bad publicity for human beings, too, by the way. So now uh, a lot of the big stores actually give their employees the Thursday off Thanksgiving itself and they're open normal hours Friday. But they do the online stuff well in advance. So Black Friday now just as any day. You know, listen, they got these these actors together. I'm sure they paid them a lot of money. I'm sure they had a lot of fun uh, revisiting their characters. But I don't know, man. It's like, you know, that's like Tina Fey's bag, right? Now you're going to decide that these are where these characters are at. Like, after all these years, Lindsay Lohan's character is a, a guidance counselor who's kind of out of touch. Wasn't she supposed to be, like, brilliant? I mean, I'm, there's nothing wrong with being a guidance counselor. Don't get me wrong. I had I actually had a great high school guidance counselor but she's kind of clueless if you will to reference another movie uh in the in the ad i you know they've done this with a number of iconic characters remember a few years ago there was the uh matthew broderick basically playing ferris bueller he didn't i don't think they actually called him ferris but that they they redid the ferris thing you know and like him getting up and not wanting to go to work and they even use that you know that oh yeah song with um that was popularized by that movie. And then Bill Murray, of all people, who, you know, Bill Murray is a guy that people never use the term really sell out for him. Uh, he does. He marches to his own drummer. That's for sure. Does his own thing. He did a Groundhog Day Super Bowl ad where it was. A re- and that was actually, I have to admit, it was pretty clever. They, you know, had his brother back in there as the mayor of Punxsutawney and other characters. And he was kind of revisiting the thing, except for now, I think he got a Jeep to drive around. So. I wish they would just leave these characters in our memories. It's not it's not the biggest sacrilege of all time. It clearly works because we're all talking about the Mean Girls ad, but I still kind of admire Rachel McAdams for saying, I- I'm not going to do that. Okay, I wanted to talk about the uh, Gotham Awards. Uh, Gotham Awards have been around for quite a while. Uh, they they honor independent film. Although that's kind of, a, I don't know, it's kind of a nebulous thing these days. It's like the Independent Spirit Awards that they have out in Santa Monica every year, usually like... Um, just before the Oscars, they have those. And it used to be really, really independent films, but now you get a lot of mainstream actors and films nominated as well. Uh, so the Gotham Awards were announced, the nominees for it are hosted by the Gotham Film and Media Institute. They used to have a budget cap of $35 million for eligible films. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore because Ryan Gosling is nominated for his turn as Ken in Barbie. Uh, past winners of the top Gotham uh, Prize have included Spotlight for Best Picture, Moonlight, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. All of those films, uh, which have all come out within the last 10 years or so, have uh, gone on to win Best Picture at the Oscars. Definitely a prestigious award and, you know, very respected. And they have now decided to go with um, the gender neutral category. They're not the only awards uh, group to do this. And... Uh, I, I respect and understand that, but as I've mentioned before on the podcast, folks, when you do this, you are now narrowing down and limiting the number of categories because you're now only going to have one lead performance, one supporting performance, 
you know, and then you say, well, they could have everybody submit in the gender they like to be considered under, but then there are people who have, you know, a fluidity and pronouns of, of, of they and them. So what happens there? So anyway, for this year, for outstanding lead performance, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's like a dozen nominees. So now you've got uh, Kaylee Spaney, who is in Priscilla, going up against Jeffrey Wright, who's in American Fiction. And you have in the supporting performance Penelope Cruz for Ferrari, which is coming out in the holidays, against Ryan Gosling for Barbie. Uh, Rachel McAdams actually is in the same category as her former Notebook star, uh, Ryan Gosling, for her performance. She was wonderful as the mom in Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. So, uh, and then, of course, with screenplay and director, as has been the case, of course, forever with the Oscars and most other awards categories, they don't uh, bifurcate those according to gender. So there's just one nominee, or I'm sorry, just five nominees, all just one category, I should say. So that's the deal with the Gotham Awards. I don't see that happening anytime in our lifetime for the Academy Awards, because again, all you're going to do there. And I, again, I have all respect for the sensitivities involved here, but if you're only going to have one lead acting performance and one supporting actor performance, that means you're not going to have the four that we're so used to. And, you know, you might get a, a run where whether it's men or women, they win for nine straight years. And then people are going to say, well, this is not working for us. The main thing to remember here throughout all of this is that even in these enlightened times, Hollywood and the showbiz people and the people that make the things, they love the awards and the trophies. So to to actually downsize the awards ceremonies, you're not going to see that with the biggies. Okay, um, I wanted to talk about this as well. So uh, last week, I was actually um, in the home office and I started getting texts from people saying, hey, you were just name checked on celebrity jeopardy let's take a listen back to you peter uh let's go gi track for 200 <laughs> 2003 film richard roper deemed one of the worst movies i've ever seen at least it didn't keep ben and j-lo from reuniting peter geely you saw it i guess nicely done i was gonna say one of my movies but <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't end in gi though <laughs> Okay, that's kind of fun. Uh, Peter Fascinelli was the actor there who uh, handled the questions. Ken Jennings, the, the superstar champion, who's now also a host of Jeopardy, was the one asking the question. You know, listen, sorry, Ben and Jen, but Geely uh, was not a good film. I'm not the only one who felt that way. I will say this, though. I've been name-checked a couple of times on uh, Jeopardy, and every time they do it, is quoting me saying I hated this movie or another movie. They haven't gotten anything wrong, uh, but it would be nice if once in a while they said, Richard Roper said this was the greatest movie of the year, or, you know, Richard Roper said this film about uh, the scientist who, you know, spearheaded the effort to build the atomic bomb, you know, mention one of my uh, laudatory reviews, Not because if you only watch Jeopardy, you'd say, God, that jerk doesn't like anything. Uh, but it was a lot of fun, and as I mentioned, um, this was Celebrity Jeopardy, which is airing uh, primetime on ABC right now as we go through. And part of the reason you're seeing a lot of more game shows, of course, a lot more game shows uh, is because of the ongoing strikes. So a lot of the scripted programs that you would be seeing right now are on hiatus. 
so I first heard from people who were watching it on the East Coast and then people in my time zone and then the mountain time zone and then the West Coast. And I had to just go, thanks for letting me know. I didn't want to say, yeah, people have told me. So it's fun. Listen, it's always fun to be name checked uh, in, in popular culture. I've been puzzle on Wheel of Fortune a couple of times. I've been in the New York Times crossword puzzle. I know this is sounding very braggy, but who gives a shit? It's just us talking, right? Um, One of the reasons, though, that uh, my name has appeared more than a couple of times in the New York Times crossword puzzle, I talked to somebody once who creates some of those puzzles, and they go, you got a great name for that, R-O-E-P-E-R, just as Roger Ebert had, E-B-E-R-T. They liked the fact that there were two E's uh, split by only one consonant, so they could do they could do a lot with the puzzle. So it's more about the name, I think, than the name. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before when I was doing this show. You can look up the time I was on Entourage. I don't have to go through all that again as myself in a fine performance as myself. And The Simpsons made fun of me. And that was kind of cool. And so did Mad Magazine and David Letterman. Uh, I always I refer to these moments uh, whenever someone says to me, well, you're a critic. You don't know what it's like to be on the other side of things. And I'm like, actually, I do. Uh, because I was on a show that had that kind of a national, international profile. And it's like, it actually, I think it's good. I think every critic should know what it's like to be on the other side of things. Obviously, the Jeopardy thing wasn't a criticism, but I have been slammed, and rightfully so, sometimes for certain things. There's a book out right now uh, called Opposable Thumbs, and it's about the Siskel and Ebert, the legendary Siskel and Ebert. And they do have a chapter or two. I haven't read it all the way through, to be honest with you. I, I, I will get to it because it looks really, really well done. Matt Singer is the guy who wrote it. And, but I know he does mention that, you know, some of the negative reviews I got as a host. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I deserve them probably, you know? So uh, I think it's good to to be on the other side of things and keep that in mind when I'm doing my criticism, which as you know, I try not to ever get personal, but if it sucks, if something deserves to be skipped, I always tell you about that. And on that note, we're going to segue to a word from Pertillo's and then we're going to talk about some new releases. All right, let's talk about Portillo's. Now, they, of course, are known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients, right down to that poppy seed bun. And then, of course, there's the legendary chocolate cake. If you're hearing this right now, that means you are alive and near a computer. That's all you got to be. That's all you need to go to Portillo's.com and check out their entire selection of stuff you can get anywhere in these United States of America. Now, if you're blessed enough to live near a Portillo's, then you don't have to worry about getting online. Just go to the store, get the hot dogs, get the Italian beef, the salads, the chicken. They got it great. And then, of course, the chocolate cake, the single greatest item of all chocolate cake items in the history of humanity. You think I'm overstating that? I am not. Go and find out yourself. Go to the store, order online. Unbelievable, the chocolate cake. And they even have a cake shake take the cake they smoosh it into a can with some super cool ingredients i don't know they do a bunch of stuff there's ice cream and all of a sudden you got a chocolate cake shake when it comes out of the blender it's the best it is a unique dining experience every time go to portillos.com find a location near you you can order online p-o-r-t-i-l-l-o-s portillos.com Okay, I want to start off with um, Priscilla. This is Sofia Coppola, who, of course, did uh, Virgin Suicides. I believe it was her first film, Lost in Translation. 
a number of terrific films uh, over the last 20, 25 years. She's a wonderful writer as well. This is the story of Priscilla Presley. We've had a million Elvis biopics, including uh, Elvis, the uh, Baz Luhrmann film that Austin Butler got nominated for. So everybody knows the story. But like even in, in the Elvis movie, Priscilla was a very minor character. It was about Elvis and it was about the colonel. Tom Hanks playing the colonel. This is the, the story of Priscilla Presley. It's actually based on the 1985 book Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley and Sandra Harmon. Just what is the intent here, Mr. Presley? You got women throwing themselves at you. Why my daughter? Well, sir, I happen to be very fond of your daughter. She's much more mature than her age. 21! Yeah. That's 22. That's 22. You don't have to worry about her. Black hair and more eye makeup. I don't know if I like it. What do you mean you don't know if you like it? I need a woman who understands that things like this might happen. Are you gonna be here or not? I want a life of my own. And I think Sofia Coppola does a, you know, she's walking a tightrope here, guys, because the story is pretty well known, but they really, you know, they fictionalize it, but it's very accurate to the details. Priscilla met Elvis when she was a 14 year old girl, an army brat. Uh, she was in a diner because her father was a military officer and they, he was, he had been stationed in West Germany where Elvis had been stationed uh, in the late fifties. He was there from 1958 until the spring of 1960. So the opening of the movie, a man who's not Elvis, another military man who's a friend of Elvis, uh, approaches Priscilla at a diner, asks her if she's a fan of Elvis Presley, like everybody else in the world, she is, and then invites her to a party at Elvis's house. And that starts the film. Uh, and she does go to the house and her, you know, with her parents' uh, reluctant blessing. And uh, Jacob Elordi from uh, Euphoria, and I think he's in the Kissing Booth movies, right, 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 right. Uh, plays Elvis and Kaylee Spaney is uh, Priscilla. Wonderful performance. Uh, both of them do a really good job. Although Jacob uh, Lordy is the world's tallest Elvis, he's like six foot five, and they never try to disguise that in the movie, so it's a little jarring. But it kind of plays into it because it's all about this dominant relationship. Now, according to the story and according to Priscilla's book, you know Elvis was the one who kept saying they had to wait until she was of legal age. They eventually did marry and had a child. We know that story, but a lot of this is about it's told from the viewpoint of priscilla presley who finds herself all of a sudden from being a ninth grader completely anonymous to living in graceland finishing her high school years being in all the tabloids but kind of this gilded cage thing because while she's processing all of this and elvis is telling her you know you're the love of my life he's off either making records or making movies making a series of terrible movies and doing whatever the colonel wanted him to do and that pretty much went out went on through the whole i think 13 or 14 years of the relationship it takes a while of course you know priscilla literally has to she has to grow up and find her voice but you know elvis it's not a flattering portrayal of elvis you know he's controlling he's a man child he's got a bad temper uh there are some moments of tenderness between them uh, but it kind of reminded me of the uh, the movie Spencer from a few years ago about that told the story of Diana's uh, marriage to the prince, now king, 
And it was, you know, kind of similar. She was 17, I think, Diana, when she met Charles. She was 19 and he was, I want to say, 31-ish when they got married. And in both cases, they found liberation when they got to their late 20s and they left. In fact, the endings of these are very similar. So it's kind of unnerving and unsettling material because it is, you know, the, the courtship, no matter how you want to interpret it, was wrong. And, you know, it wouldn't have happened, I think, in today's day and age. And again, even then, you know, a lot of people were concerned about it. But according to the storyline, according to you know those who were there, it, Elvis waited until Priscilla was of age before they, you know, consummated the relationship. But there's more at work here. And it's it's a beautifully acted film. The production design is really well done. Uh, so we are recommending that. Another period piece film. This one's completely fiction, but I really loved it. It's called The Holdovers. Every year at Barton Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two-week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the Holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. I had you guys stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that? You know, you used to be a student, right? Yeah, that's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on us. I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. Stifle it, Tully. You're gonna get me fired. This is your Rubicon. Do not cross the Rubicon. The Holdovers. Uh, this is uh, director Alexander Payne reuniting with Paul Giamatti nearly 20 years after they did Sideways. And if you haven't seen Sideways or if you haven't seen it for a long time, what a great film. What a wonderful film. And it's a film that is credited some on some level uh, with even making Pinot Noir more popular than ever. So go back and take a look at, at that if you get a chance. So The Holdovers uh, is set in 1970 and they actually made it to look as if the film was made in 1970 using older camera lenses and then digital tricks and even camera moves. And uh, Paul Giamatti plays a the world's worst, not the world's worst teacher, but the world's most unpopular teacher. He's a teacher at a boys uh, prep academy in uh, Massachusetts. And the holdovers are is the term for students who, for one reason or another, can't go home for the holiday break. There's only a handful of them and they're stuck with him and he's stuck babysitting them. And then it just goes from there. It's a character study. It's not exactly sweet, but it's got a, a warm center to it. Giamatti is great as this guy who's just a misanthrope. You know, he's got he's got what we used to call a lazy eye. He's got this rare condition that makes him kind of smell like a fish as the day goes on. It's an actual condition. He drinks too much and he's just terrible to people. But we know we know there's some redeeming factors uh, to this guy. And it's just uh, beautifully written, great acting. And it's great to see Alexander Payne and Paul Giamatti doing a movie together again. One last uh, recommendation for you. We're going to go three for three is the documentary Sly on Netflix. Now, remember just a couple of months ago, we had the Arnold Schwarzenegger three part documentary on Netflix that, you know, went through the, the phases of his life, bodybuilder, movie star, politician, I, which was great. And Arnold was great as a centerpiece. This is very similar, although it's only a single film. It's just a you know like an, a little over an hour and a half, and I've often told you guys that I think a lot of documentary series, a lot of dramatic limited series, could have benefited from some judicious editing. You know, four part documentary, true crime series that could have been a single film. 
eight part streaming shows that sometimes end up going to, into a second year when they probably could have done the whole thing in a feature length film. In this case, it's the opposite. I think, I think they stopped it too soon and didn't expand it enough. There's 95 minutes for this life and times of Sylvester Stallone just isn't enough. That's my main criticism. What is healthier to live under the illusion and still have a little glimmer of hope that you could have been great or blow it and you realize you're a failure. I think the easier route is to live under the illusion and say, you know, if I had had that chance, I would have beaten all of them. Who is this man, Sylvester Stallone? Artist, writer, poet, performer. How does that happen? I had given up on acting. I was done. He wasn't cast in things because he was deemed uncastable. The rejection was my encouragement. If I can take my frustration and voice it, I have a funny feeling that there's millions of people that have that same frustration that were overlooked. I'm in the hope business. Uh, it's very well done. It's it's completely, you know, it's a very worshipful documentary. Sly's participating in it. That's fine. It's not like, listen, he's had his own, his problems like everybody else has, but it's not like he's, hey, he had these big dark moments. I mean, mostly it was about, you know, failed marriages and things like that. So the conceit here is Sly is 77 years old and he's packing up his gigantic mansion in California and he's going to move back east because he's originally from Hell's Kitchen. Well, he did sell the house because he sold it to Adele for like $58 million. They don't mention that part, but he got properties all over the place. So this idea that he was kind of going back east to get my roots, and not really, you know, got a place in Palm Beach, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, you know, it's fun to see Sly in his home, which is filled with trophies and cool artwork and lots of Sylvester Stallone uh, pieces, including statues of Rocky. The best part about the film is when he tells the behind the scenes stories of his life and times going all the way back to the Lords of Flatbush, which is a film he did with Henry Winkler. He was a struggling character actor. And then, of course, he was in his late 20s and he had written this screenplay for Rocky that drew the attention of a lot of big time studio executives. They offered him $300,000 for the screenplay, but they wanted a known star to be Rocky, which, of course, in retrospect, seems insane because if you've got Jimmy Kahn or Steve McQueen or, or or Robert Redford or whoever to play Rocky, then he's not an underdog, you know, and the great thing was Sloan wasn't unknown. And to his credit, he turned down the money and said, no, 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 this is going to be, I'm going to star in this film I wrote. And then of course it became this incredible franchise, really cool behind the scenes stories about the making of Rocky. And then he talks about how Rambo initially was a complete psychopath and they rewrote that to make him at least a, a sympathetic anti-hero, if you will. And uh, it's interesting to see, you know, Rocky changed Sylvester Stallone's life in one weekend, you know, nearly 50 years ago, right? He went from being an unknown character actor and aspiring writer to a guy who was winning Oscars and became one of the most famous movie actors the globe had known and has been that famous for 50 years, pretty much, you know, we're talking about the expendables and all the other films and even Tulsa King, which I love now he's 77, as I mentioned, you know, so it, it's interesting to see him because he's always been an interesting guy, Sylvester Stallone, because Rocky's this monosyllabic uh, guy uh, and Sly loves to talk, you know, but he still kind of sounds like Rocky, but he's very bright, very interesting. 
again, my biggest re- my biggest complaint here is they didn't get into a lot. They don't mention even the Creed franchise. Uh, he does mention his son, Sage, who played his son in Rocky Five, who tragically passed away. And they do talk about that. But if you watch his documentary, you wouldn't even you'd think he was all by himself in this big mansion. And there's a reality show about his wife and his three daughters. So there's so much of his life that we don't see in this. It's still if you're a fan of uh, Stallone, the documentary is called Sly. It's on Netflix. It just came out. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Richard Roper. We will talk again soon.